is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Catholic Review Radio is a weekly radio program and podcast hosted by Catholic Review Media, the news operation of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic partners for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to our listeners each week. This is Chris Conti of the Catholic Review. We're talking about healthcare today. Our first guest is Dr. David Main, who on July 1st became the new president and CEO of Mercy Health Services. This marked the first time a physician has led the hospital and health system in its 145-year history. He's also the first person of the Jewish faith to lead the Catholic hospital. Dr. Main served as executive vice president for Mercy Health Services since October 2019, He was responsible for all MHS operations, overseeing the medical center, specialty and primary care physician networks, and Mercy affiliates. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for having me. Dr. Main, what's it been like taking on the leadership of Mercy Health Services in the midst of a global pandemic? Well, uh, it's it's a great question, Uh, Chris, one one that I've been asked uh, several times. When the announcement came in January of uh, taking over from Tom, who been here uh, well over 20 years. There was a clear plan for transition, and, and I was uh, looking forward to going through that process. And then the world turned upside down. And as my mom sure always did. said, uh, uh, we can plan, but God laughs. <laughs> exactly. You know, this is a challenge that we've all been dealing with. In, in healthcare, it's, uh, I think, been unique, uh, given the need to focus on Uh, continuing to provide care for the patients we serve, despite anything and everything going uh, on around us, including a -a once-in-a-lifetime pandemic. And and, uh, uh, quite frankly, I I can't be more proud of of, uh, my colleagues and how the Mercy family rose to the challenge to confront uh, the situation. I've really been uh, inspired by the dedication, the personal commitment, the heroism uh, on behalf of all those taking care of patients and, and our physicians, providers, nurses, and really everyone across the organization. It has been a group effort, and I'm really proud of the work that's been done. One of the things that Mercy did was you, you fast-tracked construction of a COVID ward. How did that happen, and how many patients has it served? Has it really helped to have a specific part of the hospital dedicated to patient care of those affected by COVID-19? Well, it really has. When, when we uh, made the decision to build out the, the top floor of the Mary Catherine Bunting Center, we did it with the concern that a, that a tsunami was coming at us and that there was going to be a, uh, or the potential for an incredible surge of uh, patients, those that uh, may, do, uh, may require advanced uh, uh, health care and critical care needs. And so we set out to ensure that we could have the capacity to do, to do just that. And I tell you, the decision to, to move on the 17th floor happened in, in uh, uh, Tom Mullen's office. A number of us were sitting around uh, the office and, and the decision to, to go forward with that. Uh, was made uh, on the basis of what we uh, just discussed. We filed for an emergency uh, certificate of need. It was actually the first emergency CON in the state. Shortly thereafter, we had a 32-bed acute care unit to serve uh, COVID-19 patients. And we have used uh, that floor uh, solely for COVID-19 patients. It's given us the ability to cohort those patients and the providers uh, who who care for those patients on a floor, allowing us to carry on with operations 
otherwise necessary for the care of our community and do it in the safest way possible. So uh, I think uh, it's been really critical for us. There's an example of that every single day as I look at uh, how the floor is being used and, and the care that we're providing for those patients. It's really unique in that it sits separate from the rest of the hospital's uh, clinical space, really minimizing the risk uh, to our surgical and, and other uh, pain patients, cancer patients who uh, obtain care here in the hospital. That really makes a lot of sense. Have poor and underserved communities been particularly affected by this pandemic? I know that you serve a lot of those communities because of where you are in, in the city. Well, I, I think without without question, that has been the case. Uh, those who either uh, may have difficult uh, difficulty in access uh, to uh, health care or are in uh, uh, housing conditions that uh, perhaps can increase risk in a pandemic such as this, uh, that's been a challenge, not just here in, in Maryland, but across the nation. It's making headlines that, that uh, uh, there is some disparity in those who are most affected uh, by uh, this pandemic, but but I but I have to tell you, uh, this is part of what I'm so proud to be part of uh, uh, Mercy and a faith-based organization is that we're driven by our mission. We're driven by caring for anyone who walks through our doors, and we do it with dignity. We ensure uh, that they're treated with a, at the highest uh, level, and uh, uh, we provide them the the very best uh, uh, care, uh, consistent with who we are, and. and and who those were before us uh, that brought us here to Baltimore. Let's talk about that a little bit more because uh, there's a difference between Catholic hospitals and others in the area. Certainly you've been part of Johns Hopkins, you've been a part of, of some of those kinds of things throughout your career, but what difference does it make to be a Catholic hospital in these times? What is it about the mission of Mercy Health Services that makes it different? That's a great question. I grew up uh, in uh, a family that, that, that faith was was front and center, and uh, my my you know, my family went through a lot, and faith was a big part uh, in what allowed them to persevere through uh, challenging uh, times. And 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 being part of a faith-based organization and the mission, the the higher calling in terms of uh, how we think about the delivery of care, what our goals are. Uh, and, and while, yes, we, of course, uh, need to be focused on financial success so that we can continue to do the good work uh, of our mission, uh, uh, there's not a single decision that we make that's without the lens of our mission. It guides us and it connects us to what we're doing, and I think it connects our workforce to what we're doing. What we do speaks through our values, we, you know, our mm -hmm. values of dignity I mentioned, hospitality, justice, excellence, stewardship, and prayer. Those are integral to everything we do in this uh, organization. And uh, it's just who we are. It's, it's fundamentally who we are. Are those some of the kind of things that drew you to mercy in the first place? Absolutely. When I, <laughs> when I did my internship uh, here, uh, mercy always felt like a special place. There was just this special connection between the providers, the nurses, the residents. There was something unique about it. And and I went on to uh, Hopkins for my residency and had wonderful training and a wonderful experience at a world-class uh, institution. And, and I was actually planning on leaving the area uh, after uh, uh, my uh, advanced training. And I was potentially taking a position uh, in Rochester, New York. And I ran into uh, 
uh, a colleague at a coffee shop on the way up and, and she talked a, a little bit about what was happening at Mercy and I shared my vision and I would say this this was the only place that I would have done a U-turn for. And uh, uh, when the opportunity uh, presented itself as I was looking for a place uh, uh, to land, I, I literally made a U-turn and came back to Mercy because for me it was uh, the opportunity of a lifetime uh, in terms of uh, where I wanted to be professionally and, and I've never looked back. It's been a, it's been a blessing. That's awesome. Dr. Main, you know, we've been going through a really tough time this summer. There's a lot of different things going on in the world, not to mention you know, the global pandemic, which has changed the way we do everything. What will it take for us to return to normal? Well, I'll tell you, you know, the, the COVID-19 pandemic has galvanized healthcare. We are all in it together. We are all facing a common enemy. <laughs> and at the same time, we need to continue delivering healthcare and taking care of, of the needs of our uh, community, which are vast. Um, and I, I think what will get us there is uh, uh, our continued vigilance, uh, commitment to the, the to the welfare of the patients we serve and, and those that provide the care, uh, and patience. Science will get us to the, the end of this uh, tunnel, but it will take it will take time, and our uh, patience and vigilance and uh, compassion. Uh, and care, I think, will, are the ingredients that will uh, get us through this unscathed. And I, and I think we can get there. This is challenging for everybody, uh, from no matter what you do or, or, or where you're from, this has challenged everyone, and it's uh, created anxiety and apprehension about when will it end and how will it end and how will I make it through. I think uh, working together uh, with all parties uh, to make sure that we can get there is key. And in the hospital side of things, I'll say, you know, Maryland hospitals have worked together. It's really been tremendous at how uh, healthcare systems here in Maryland have come together to make sure that not only do we have capacity, but we have the ability to protect those that are coming through our doors and and uh, some of that has been through the work with the governor's office and state and local officials. And it's been absolutely key because we're all in it together. And we want to come out uh, on the other side of this healthy, uh, safe. We want to learn from what has happened and, and uh, make sure that we are taking steps to prevent this from happening again or being caught off guard. That's all uh, important to keep in mind. But we will get through it. And uh, I'm, I'm very optimistic about that. And it sounds like the only way we're going to get through it is if we're working together. Absolutely. You can't do this alone. Here at Mercy, I just can't say enough how, how the organization has uh, come uh, together uh, uh, to, to manage every, uh, every element of this uh, pandemic, all uh, with a focus on the care of our patients and, and caring for each other. We've all endured losses. We've had a, a very difficult loss here in, in our health system with the loss of uh, one of our providers. and. You know, that is, it's very difficult, but we draw strength uh, from, from the commitment uh, of, of each other and of, of those we've lost, and we're going to move forward. Well, we thank you very much for that. We have been talking today with Dr. David Main, President and CEO of Mercy Health Services. This is Chris Gunty, and you're listening to Catholic Review Radio. After the break, we'll talk with Ed Lovern, President and CEO of Ascension St. Agnes Healthcare System. News from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world from the Catholic Review.
Millions of Americans voted for a president for the first time. Among them was Father Isaac McCovo, pastor of St. Agnes in Catonsville and St. William of York in Baltimore, and a native of Kenya. Following a path trod by other archdiocesan priests who immigrated here from other countries, Father McCovo became a naturalized citizen in 2018. He shares insight on the paradox of the U.S., lamenting what he described as an individualized society, while at the same time being encouraged by the spirit of helpfulness he finds even in the youngest students at the St. Agnes Parish School. There's plenty of news to share about another priest who completed his seminary education and was ordained here in Baltimore, as Father Michael J. McGivney, the founder of the Knights of Columbus, moved closer to sainthood with his beatification in New Haven, Connecticut. The homily at a Mass of Thanksgiving was offered by Baltimore Archbishop William E. Laurie, Supreme Chaplain of the Knights, who said, Father McGivney led his parishioners to holiness and continues to provide for parish priests a model for the renewal of priestly life, a renewal that is urgently desired by the people of God. This is Paul McMullen of the Catholic Review. Subscribe to our e-newsletter by texting the letter C, the letter R, and then media, that's CR Media, to 84576, or find all the latest news at catholicreview.org. This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. This is Chris Dunty of the Catholic Review. With us today to talk about Catholic health care on Catholic Review Radio is Ed Lovern. Ed Lovern was named Health System President and CEO of Ascension St. Agnes in July. And as a fellow of the American College of Healthcare Executives, Ed previously served as Chief Operating Officer at Piedmont Atlanta Hospital. Welcome to the show, Ed. Thanks, Chris. I'm excited to be here. Well, great. You know, this is a difficult time for the world and for our country, and I'd like to start by asking you whether the neighborhood and the community that you serve at St. Agnes has been hit hard by the coronavirus pandemic and how your facility has been able to respond to those needs. Well, it has been hit hard. Uh, we're in the southwest corner of the city, and these, these neighborhoods really end up with a higher rate of poverty, uh, of unemployment, and those are, are both indicators of, of situations where you have people who get impacted by the virus in a higher proportion. So we've seen infection rates in our neighborhoods many-fold higher, sometimes four-fold higher than they are even five miles away in more affluent neighborhoods. So it's it's really um, had a, a severe impact here, and we felt it in the hospital. I think it, at different times, even before I got here, uh, the hospital's uh, number of COVID patients was uh, proportionally much higher than other places around the city. You talked about poverty being, being one of the aspects of that. Is that that people are underemployed or unemployed? Uh, is it their living conditions? What is it that, that makes that great spike in those neighborhoods? Yeah, I think the best we can understand is it's a combination of things. I, I think in some of these neighborhoods, you've got people who, uh, when they're working, they're, they work outside the home. So they don't have the luxury that many of us uh, have had through this pandemic of being able to work at home. Uh, so they're out, their risk of exposure is higher. Um, they're usually in, in places where maybe they don't have as much ability to social distance, the tighter quarters of where they live. Uh, and then not the same access to healthcare when they do feel uh, some 
health problem. A lot of the times we see people in these neighborhoods have comorbidities or, or other illnesses that obviously make uh, the coronavirus uh, a worse situation for them. So it's, it's a real combination of things uh, that have led to, you know, I think we've seen uh, um, people who are lower socioeconomic status and in, in, uh, in poverty and also uh, people in minorities, people of color, uh, who've been impacted more severely by this. And it's, it's for those variety of things. So it's tough to solve it with just one, um, one fix or, or one thing that you focus on. Yeah. So you came on board in July. We'd already been into the coronavirus global pandemic at that point by for about three months. Was it hard to take on the leadership of a healthcare facility in those times? Did you bring some experiences from Atlanta with you? I did, but you know, I think it was different coming in at that time. It was interesting. You know, we did deal with it in Atlanta. Uh, and, and so I got that exposure of what life was like in those first few months. But by the time I got up here in late July, our organization had done such an incredible job of responding to it. Uh, so that I found when I came in, I, I've let that operations kind of continue the way it's been going. And, and I've been able to focus more on you know, what we need to be thinking about uh, to eventually come out of this situation and, and be successful on the other side. So my hat's really off to the organization, to the employees, to the physicians here who have continued to just um, stay the course. And, and that's been hard. I mean, as we know, we're getting ready to see possibly a second wave uh, it just it takes a lot out of people after a while, but our teams have really uh, stayed on this. We meet at least twice a week to be able to review our incident command situation, uh, and we're always ready to respond. So I have um, I have come in at an interesting time, and that's a priority of mine coming into the organization is you know, safely getting out and masked and social distance and being able uh, to spend a lot of time on the floors and get to meet our staff. Um, but normally, when you come into an organization, you're able to have a town hall with you know hundreds of people and you know social events where you're you know you're shaking hands and seeing people face to face. And uh, so I think that's been the biggest difference. Yeah, I think a lot of people you know they see the the national and local news and they think, oh, it's the doctors and nurses who are really kind of bearing this. But as a as the president and CEO of the system, I would imagine that it's also the folks who. The, the custodians who are making sure everything stays clean, the nutritionists who are bringing meals around, the technicians who are taking blood and, and vitals and things like that. How do you keep all those folks safe and healthy and focused on, on the task? It's absolutely the biggest challenge of this job, or I think anybody who's running a hospital right now. Um, it is such an incredible effort uh, that's been put forward by, as you said, all of the people who work here. I mean, the, the risk is, is, can be different, obviously, if it's a nurse working in the ICU and working directly with uh, COVID positive patients, uh, it's one thing. If it's, a, if it's an engineer, it's, it's something else. They're, they may be a little bit further removed from it. Um, but the need for commitment to be here to make sure that they're doing their job effectively is the same. I mean, if we're not, if the engineers aren't doing their job, we're not able to take care of patients. Um, and a lot of the people that are, are not always talked about, uh, the people who deliver the food to the room, the housekeepers, all those people do have um, a much higher risk than other people do. And, and it's a tribute to the, to the work they do. I'm very proud to and, and humbled by being able to work with them. And I think it's, it's something that we worry about all the time of the, you know, you get 
you may get numb to it now that we've been seven or eight months into it um, versus in the beginning where you constantly worried about the exposure and people whose lives and, and health would be changed forever. Um, you know, we, we're now at a point where I think, you know, most people have gotten into a routine of, of how they protect themselves and, and the safeguards that they take. We've gotten better at that. And, and obviously the, the amount of uh, personal protective equipment has, has increased and been more available. But it, it takes just such an emotional toll on people. You can't say it enough of, um, of what heroes these people are. And I, you know, I think we've mentioned it a couple of times that if there's been one positive from all this, it's been that I think a lot of these healthcare providers have gotten the credit that they deserve and, and the recognition. And you know, I'm sure they would rather have had it the other way and never have gone through this. But it's been nice to see the broader community uh, recognize these people who put their lives on the line um, every day as much as you know other first responders that we think about. That's awesome. You know, more generally, Ed, what difference does it make to be a Catholic hospital in these times? How does the mission and values of St. Agnes affect the care and service that the hospital and healthcare system provide? Yeah, it's interesting because I came from a not-for-profit but not religious hospital in Atlanta. And so obviously a lot of the things that hospitals are doing are, are very much the same. As we started into this pandemic, we all you know stopped doing elective procedures uh, we stocked up on PPE and figured out how to how to ration it the best way we could. Um, we started telemedicine programs and and, and did that. Um, so that's the same here at Ascension St. Agnes as it was at Piedmont in Atlanta. Um, but I think the difference that we see here is really attached to the the Catholic mission, to the Ascension uh, mission and vision. We are called. Uh, to serve every person, and we pay a special attention to the poor and vulnerable. And as we talked about in the beginning of the interview, those are the people who are being impacted the most by this. And fortunately, again, I'm a benefit of a lot of great things about St. Agnes. In 2017, the hospital set up the St. Agnes Health Institute, which is completely focused on taking care of people outside the walls of the hospital, making sure that we're addressing and improving the health status of our communities. That organization, which has about 140 people working for it, has been in high gear uh, during the pandemic. And, and we've partnered with other community organizations to make sure that we're getting food and uh, personal hygiene and protective equipment um, out to these communities. We're also in a neighborhood that has a, a lot of long-term care and assisted living facilities. And so we have, we've set up a post-acute network where we're able to connect with them and make sure that these, you know, sometimes smaller places that serve the elderly, um, that don't have the same amount of resources can connect with us and get what they need, whether it's, it's resources, equipment, or, or sometimes just even medical expertise. So it's, being in a Catholic organization is, again, has been wonderful. I, I started my career at Borges in Kalamazoo, Michigan, which is also part of Ascension. We live a different life at Ascension hospitals. Uh, we're, we, I mean, the, the fact that beginning at every meeting and beginning in the day, we're praying and we're, we're thinking about it constantly and always able to refer to the reasons that we do what we do. Um, but coming back to figuring out how people aren't left behind is a key aspect of, of how we deal with this pandemic. 
and that's going to remain the vision and mission after the we have a vaccine and and we're yeah. ready to move back to normal i would imagine yeah it really is I, I think the other thing we're called to do i mean part of our vision at ascension is to lead the transformation of healthcare and so it's it, it's like i talked about with the health institute it's always thinking about where we should be going and and we have to have an excellent hospital. And that's my goal coming in is to make sure that St. Agnes provides superior care. And that when people think about St. Agnes, uh, they think about that's the place you go for superior care. But the other side of my vision and goals are how we improve the health status in the community. The neat thing about Maryland is that we have a financial incentive in the way that we're paid to improve the health status of the community. And that that's sort of new to the Maryland system and just evolving at this point. But it's it's really exciting to be in an environment where we're starting to align the incentives of doing the things that we've always known that we need to do. I've been in healthcare leadership for almost 30 years. And, you know, coming out of graduate school, we knew that it was important to, to kind of move upstream with these social determinants of, of, of healthcare to be able to impact, you know, how people live, how people eat, how people, you know, whether they're using drugs or, or alcohol or other things that might be harmful, how we're reaching upstream uh, to be able to reduce the number of health problems that come downstream and end up in our hospital. And it's an exciting time to be in healthcare now where we are seeing that movement of, of how we make that impact. So yes, I mean, the, the pandemic is is part of that response and all those things we talked about of being out in the community and trying to make sure that the people in their homes are getting what they need. Um, but that will continue once we get to something that is more normal. Well, we appreciate that and we appreciate the work you do. Thanks for being with us today, Ed. Oh, thanks, Chris. We have been talking today with Ed Lovern, Health System President and CEO of Ascension St. Agnes in Baltimore. This is Chris Gunty, and you're listening to Catholic Review Radio. The Catholic Review is the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the Catholic Church full-time. Pick up the monthly magazine at your parish or have it delivered to your home. Subscribe to our e-newsletter for twice-weekly updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Follow The Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Read it today in print or online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. Tune in to Catholic Review Radio next week. Available on WMET 1160 AM and 103.1 FM. Also, WSJF 92.7 FM in the Sykesville area and WVTO 92.7 FM in Baltimore City. Check us out on SoundCloud or your favorite podcast app. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Review Radio. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May Almighty God bless us 
and keep us always in his love.